When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are two rules to remember if you want to have a good time. Rules! No rules! Rule number one. Keep your friends close, but your enemies close. Rule number two. You're a dragon. Be a dragon. Ciao, Bella. This week on Double Dragon, Steve and I cover The King of the Narrow Sea, and then medievalist Kavita Mudanfin answers a question about sex and perceptions of sex in the pre-modern period. So you're not going to want to miss that. And folks, I would love it if you would leave us an iTunes review on Apple iTunes. Rate, subscribe. It would help us out immensely. Okay, without further ado, here is San Francisco Punchline's own stand-up comic, Steve Osborne. Steve, I can't figure out whether Damon Targaryen is a genius or if he's a complete fool at the end of this episode. Yeah, I. It's like we want our villains to be masterminds. He's he does he does a little bit. There's little. There's a tiny mastermind in there, but you got to dig around for it and a lot of foolishness to find the mastermind part of it. Well, sometimes it feels like he's. He's like an accidental mastermind. <laughs> right. And it's just, it's like, so, so many things like, is he lying because it's part of the grander scheme? Is he playing one person against the other? Or is he just, just completely improvising? Yeah, that's a good question. Is he improvising as he goes? Or does he have this whole scheme in mind? I mean, there's this one scene where he pulls her hat off to reveal her hair that will make her recognizable right among the common folk and and i i don't know why he does that unless it is to expose her like he's he's gotten her vulnerable and now he's going to play the perception game and weaken her with the perception game and maybe that that was his whole plan all along or was it just sort of like I think I'll do this now. And he pulls off her, and he doesn't think about the consequences. Right. Or it's like, at, uh, he's got maybe like a destructive side. Like, this would this would be unpredictable, and it would completely uh, change the dynamic of what we're, what we're doing. But, to, but without, like, thought as to now what? As opposed to just, like, like it's just sort of, bringing a, a touch of chaos into everything he does. Right. I think that the first time I watched this, I thought, oh, he's a genius. This is going to totally expose her, and this is going to weaken the king, and now she's not going to be able to be a queen because now people don't like her even more, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And the second time I watched it, I thought, he's got no clue what's going to happen next. Right. Um, 
so keep my eyes on him. I'm continue to be fascinated with him. I don't know how to read him yet. No, I, yeah, I'm I'm the same way, and and I think there's just so much of that that happens uh, in this episode where it just seems it just seems kind of chaotic, and 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 I I don't know. Like he, he like he's like he's he's lying. Oh, but he's lying because he's got a, a a bigger plan. It's like, or is he lying and not not wise enough to realize that maybe his lie has been undercut elsewhere? Like he's not really right. in control. But like, but also, if his end goal, it, it feels almost like this is just a brotherly spat that has just escalated over the years because their station has changed. Right. Yeah, I mean, so so much of this really does feel like it's just, just these guys. <laughs> just <laughs> this is all about the rest. Yeah, this was sort of the, you know, this is a very dysfunctional family for a number of reasons, and we got to see it all on display this episode. Yeah, I was I was really impressed with this episode, um, but we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay, I've identified five storylines, and Renera is attached to almost all of these. The first storyline I call The Princess and the Penis. Ooh. Yes. Renera impatiently listens to potential suitors and leaves when the gathering turns violent. On her way back to King's Landing, her ship has a fender bender with a dragon. By the way. Fantastic. A, 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 a ship and a dragon having a fender better. This is sort of... <laughs> my, this is a perfect, perfect scene. Well, for you, you got ships oh, and dragons? Oh, my gosh. Yes. It, got, it was It was like... Uh, the, the way that uh, Rhaenyra looks at the Street of Silk, that was sort of me watching this ship get buzzed by the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been susceptible to almost anything at this point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Take off all the hats you want. Um, <laughs> I'm going to let loose. (laughs) (laughs) Having spurned every suitor, she worries that her father will be angry. She seeks out Damon, and they discuss marriage, childbirth, life, and death. Renera claims that she would prefer solitude to marriage. That night, she's invited out to a fleshy carnival with Damon. She sneaks out, sees a comedy, and a variety of tattoos. She tells her, he tells her that sex can be pleasurable even for the woman and kisses her. After another episode of ED, he ditches her. She returns to the keep and seduces Sir Kristen. So we've talked a little bit about Damon. I I think that probably we need to talk a little bit about sort of his motives here. I think one way you could read this is that he... He just wants to show her a good time. I think he sees himself in her, and he might be a little bit hot for her. Um, I don't know if he means to politically undermine her at first. I mean, I guess that's possible. It's possible that that was his plan all along. I'm going to do damage to my to my brother and his daughter. That's the thing. I mean, this is what I, I think is uh, probably one of the most fascinating parts of this and i could also see this being something that might frustrate some other viewers i think that what they've done here by they've complicated things by by leaving so much out because it's we don't know exactly what damon we have an idea what damon's motivations are Mm -hmm. but we don't also know if he's just 
petulant. Like going back to what you were saying before, like is he is this a big plan? Like so, yeah, is he is he attracted to Renera, or is he being politically motivated, knowing that she is attracted to him, and so therefore he has the upper hand, and he knows he can mm. complicate her, uh, you know. Uh, her her stake to the throne by by complicating their relationship right. or is he truly just sort of like no i really like renera we we i see a lot in myself and her and then and then they have a good time but then he you know his instincts to undermine kick in and he takes the hat off and then there's the question of okay is he seducing her or is he being seduced was it ed was it a uh, a change of heart is it a grand plan where he brings her to a certain point yeah. and then so all of those because we don't know what those motivations are it's very very hard to uh it, 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 we just feel like we're grasping at, at the wind here in some cases <laughs> yeah. and i can see that in some ways i find it fascinating other times i'm just like I, i'm not saying i get taken out but there are moments where i'm like well i don't know what i'm watching <laughs> you know i don't know you know and, it's and, yes. and in a way that's in a way, that's fun. In a way, I think that is a good good storytelling because mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time charting the next move, which means that I'm sort of set up to be surprised no matter what. Yeah, in Game of Thrones, it was sort of fun to watch Littlefinger sow seeds of chaos, right? Because you kind of knew his motives. It was like, I, I, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to sow as many seeds of chaos in the realm as possible. See the whole thing destabilize. See the thing crumble, and then I will advance. Right. That that was sort of right. his his motives. And then of course his you know he had this little thing like does he love cat? Does he not love cat? What's he do with with Sansa? But you kind of understood his motivations uh, to a certain extent, and so you can kind of have fun to see what he's trying to do to achieve his ends. Well, in Littlefinger, like he's he, the purpose he served in the fiction also served for the audience, right? Because like he, yeah. they 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 did a wonderful thing with this character where they created somebody who is constantly one step ahead and kind of tricking everybody, and yeah. nobody understands his true motivations. And as the audience, we were the same way because we're like, well, I don't know if he, if is he motivated by love or political yeah, yeah. gain or is it both? Is he one of these guys that is? Is he like the Golden State Warriors? Is he developing the young talent and seeking to win a championship this year? Can he pull both off? Yeah, yeah. Or is one of it just a lie? Is it just a lie? And and that right. was, that's what you kind of present to the world. But really, the other thing is what you want. I think that da- like at one point in this episode, Viserys says, "Damon and Rhaenyra both have the blood of the dragon," and that makes them chaotic and restless. So it's almost like. We enjoyed watching Littlefinger because he was sowing seeds of chaos. Damon Targaryen is chaos. He's like a chaos tornado wherever he goes. And sometimes it's fun to be the chaos tornado. And sometimes it's like, well, I guess I guess I'm here now. I, you know, I, what am right. I going to do now that I'm here? I, I didn't think ahead. I, I don't know. He could be a genius, though. I, it's it's just an odd character. I, I, I continue to be most fascinated with where his chaos tornado will land next yeah and it's almost like that is his superpower right like impetuous yet able to then quickly adapt to the to the new scenario he just created (laughs) sure (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's a good way to say it. I, I love this first scene with uh, Lord Bracken. And, you know, it's a, it's a little kid who yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of comes to, to be her suitor. Uh, she, I watched that scene like four or five times. <laughs> and I don't know why it, it, it was so exciting to me. It was, I think it could have to do with this uh, this director that they brought on. Her name is Claire Kilner. And she she was talking in the behind, behind the scenes part of it. She was saying that I really wanted to show everything from a woman's perspective. And she was specifically talking about the sex scenes. Like how would Renera be experiencing the sex scene. And then she, of course, Allison, you get to see her face during the sex scene uh, with the king. But I, I think that, that this first scene, this fight scene is very much shot with that in mind as well. Like what would the woman in the room witness of this fight? Because what happens is you kind of see Rhaenyra really bored and then kind of shocked and then kind of bored again and a little bit amused, and she decides, I'm hungry, I'm leaving. So all these suitors are kind of like a sec- afterthought to her, because she doesn't really want to marry any of them, right? Right. So this is all about her experience of the moment. And then when you see her walk away, the fighting still goes on. And I think that another direction would be like, put the camera where the action is. We want to see this fight unfold. But what Kilner does is she says, no, keep the... Keep the camera on her face. And she'll turn around and see some of the violence. But but what's important is her experience of it. I thought it was a masterfully shot scene, and I was shocked. I was like, I can't believe the little guy beat the big guy. You know, it's sort of like this, right. this Game of Thrones moment where it's like, what world am I watching? This is this is total chaos. And, you know, you think about it a little bit better. You think, oh, well, the, the you know. The little guy's got this sword that's three feet long, and the other one's got a dagger. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's and and you know, more to your point too. It's like that's not that's not the issue here. Battles happen. You know, people are are like there's so much vying for uh, position, and at this moment, she has the position. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even even though she's quote you know going to be married off, and so it feels like she has no agency. She she snatches agency back. You know, she sits and she kind of makes them go through the motions. Um, right. She's going to hold a, on to her agency as for as long as she possibly can. Becomes a, a bit of a, a, you know, a role reversal for many, in, in many ways, right? Like, so here's all these men mm-hmm. that are lining up to prove their worth. Um, and and she sort of dismisses. She's interested. She plays with them. And then she's like, mm, I'm out. I'm getting snacks. And... <laughs> And then, but they, but they keep on battling because like they're like they they're so focused on on everything else, and and then also there's just the the nature of of a man even at a at a young age they'll just fight to the death, right? I mean it's just it's it's sort of this violence yeah. that that they're sort of prone to, and and then she and you know and the, like I said the focus on her it's it's actually it's where the power is, right? The the camera goes to where the power is, and that's. And it is ironic because it is something that she she doesn't want to have to do because she feels like it's an obligation, but she but she flips it right. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's that's different about her than than Damon is that he's he's the other right. I mean he's he's the he's going to be the one to fight. He's going to 
you know, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go and fight the crab feeder. I'm going to do all the, I'll do all this other stuff. And there's, but there doesn't seem to be like, there's calculation in the moment, but not, not long-term where she, even despite her age, feels like she has a little bit more of, of an idea of what the bigger picture is and what, what maybe some consequences are. And I think that there's this sense with Damon that he knows that life is fleeting he knows that the the chaos is just part of it, and it, you know, it, at one point he says to her, he says, "Yeah, you know, it's a tragic world, but if you if you live it in fear, you're gonna miss the best parts of it." And he sort of resolved to live life hot and fast, and if it results in the crab feeder putting his hammer through my skull, then that's how I go out. And she's just unwilling because because there's no glory in the in the birthing bed. She's like, no, I'm that's not I'm I'm not going out like my mom went out. I I'm not gonna live like that. But she does want some of that like hot and fast life that her uncle has. So it, it really sort of is a, a her chafing over sort of the, the gender assignment of this. Right, and just think and think of it from her perspective too. She's like, my job is to create someone that can go and live the life I want to live. Yeah, that's right. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, it's 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 a great I think it's a great view of and I love I love how she's juxtaposed with Allison to this episode, but we'll get there. Um I I, I, I for some reason I'm just totally fascinated by this fight between the, the Blackwoods and the uh, the the Brackens. Uh, where it, you know, in this world, that rivalry is like as old as like as sin. It's like right. It, th- these guys have hated each other forever. But what got me, I think, this kid is called a craven, and that's it. It's it's on, right? It's going down. This is right. a world where if you say the magic word, there's going to be blood. It does. It's fast. It's fascinating to me in that there's so many things about the show that's like, oh, it's just like the modern world, and then and then you get reminded, like, no, this is unlike anything you've experienced. This kid who looks what twelve years old? I don't. I don't know. Yeah. He has not gone through puberty yet. He gets called a craven, and now it's like, now I have to go to battle with this grown man, <laughs> and. It, it, I, what is what is a world where you say the right word and now you're gonna see a grown man fight a twelve year old boy to death with big knives? <laughs> it's it's goofy. Yeah. It's a goofy yeah. scene. I and it, it's a very Game of Thrones scene. I, I really liked it. It's like it's like when Marty McFly gets called a chicken. Uh oh, it's on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. I love the scene. And then it was a little surprising. It's like oh. All right, that didn't end the way I thought it was going to end, and and we're off to the next thing. We're off to right. seeing seeing a dragon have a fender bender with a boat. You know, it's like it, it's a great beginning of an episode. Yeah, and so let's go back to uh, Damon and Renera. Now, you your in, uh, synopsis suggested that it was an ED related uh, um, aborted mission. Yeah, I, that's how I read it. I because I, read it. I think that that's how I read it. The first time, because I was so fascinated by how his uh, coupling ended with Masaria in episode one, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, this is a this is interesting. This guy has a problem, 
And it's an interesting problem for this guy to have. I'm going to see how this plays out. And so when we get to the scene of, you know, they're in the, the, the bowels of the pleasure den. And he's totally into it. And then all of a sudden he can't perform. That is how I read it. And, well, let me let me hear from you first before I go go where I'm going to go. Well, see, and, that, and that's, that's, I think, how I, I read it later, like looking back on it, because my initial thought was, again, I think I was giving him credit for... Uh, Not having like, sex oh, with this... his niece? Well... Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd, like yeah, you know... you'd like to give someone the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, like, all right, I'm giving you... A, I'm, this is a C-minus for, for morality. No, I... Uh, what does it I, say uh, about this show that that was not even on your mind? That you were going right, to exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, give him credit for... Well, I was going to give him credit for being devious. Right. That, like, maybe okay. he was... Like, he was intentionally bringing her to this to this point where now he's... Like, so it, it's a, it, like it was a power move, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it was uh, bring you to a point of seduction and then I'm going to end it abruptly, which that would be the, like... Similar to sort of like the, the I'd be like the parallel that you would have with Renera earlier, where she's like sort of toying with the men and then moves on, right? Like that. That's how I initially read it. Was like, okay, so this is his version of this story, where he's now taking a more, a much more powerful position. But then to read it later, especially as we just talked about how he seems to adapt to his own chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually a really interesting element to his character because here's another example where he may have accidentally made a power move. Sure, sure. Because because his body <laughs> betrays him. That's funny. now he has a new set of and he's like, well, now there's a new path I'm going to go fantastic. on. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I think that that makes it even more intriguing, right? Is that he's this you know like again go back to the the idea of Dame and the accidental mastermind. Right, 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 right. So I, I will say this, and I, I, I don't like to appeal to this kind of stuff. But in the after the or inside the episode conversation afterwards, mm-hmm. I think it's Ryan Condal or one of the people interviewed said, "Yeah, then he has ED and he can't he can't complete the oh, act." Okay. And he actually says because he feels like in order for him to enjoy the experience, he has to be in total control. And she kind mm. of like starts, uh, you know, taking control sexually, and and he doesn't he doesn't know what to do with that. So the writer the writer might have an intent for the character, but by the time it gets to the director, the director's kind of in tr- in control. Maybe uh, Kilner decided to do something different with the scene, or maybe Matt Smith decided he was going to bring something else to the performance. And then, of course, I'm involved, too, as a watcher. And so if it's open to interpretation, at that point, the experience is mine as a viewer to decide or not decide, you know, based on the conversations that I'm having. So I don't necessarily just want to, like, pull out the authorial intent card. I do think it is one, you know, it's one voice in the conversation that's worth listening to. Yeah, and that's one thing that I think is important too. I mean, I, like in my, you know, myriad literature classes, and you know, you start getting into uh, various interpretations, and you know, one of the things that they that you're taught early on is that authorial intent 
uh, is like maybe 10% of the battle, right? I mean, I mean, right. because I don't necessarily like to be, because one of the things that I enjoy about, about uh, shows like this is wrestling with some of the ambiguities and, yeah. and either being surprised later or just that to me, this it's all part. It's, it's like, it's like a really well, it's like a good meal that also is presented well on the plate, right? Like it's, taste is part of it but ex- but the experience is really what you're you're going for and so when someone says this is what happened and this is what i intended and like and to your point it's like yeah but it's it's getting translated now through many yeah different, different uh, uh lenses right I mean, like you said there's a director there's an actor there's editors there's once you add music once you all the different things that you go through and then you say okay now me watching it now the context of my viewing experience uh, things that I'm grabbing onto or paying attention to, maybe a little closer. Things I'm reading a little closer. Things maybe I'm not catching. That's all part of it, and that's um... yeah. I really like the culinary metaphor here. I think it's great. I think it's sort of like so. Let's say you've got a chef that's really into the culinary arts. So the intention of the chef was to do something, and maybe the chef knows a lot more about the meal than the person who ate it. But the chef didn't experience the meal like the person who ate the meal. Right. And I think that's it's a great metaphor for sort of the, the relationship between the creator and the consumer. Yeah, and I think with this, you know, and, and that and it's fine when an author you know, author says this is what was supposed to happen. It's like, yeah, and, and I believe it. Like, yeah, right. I believe that E D paid a paid played a role. But I think that the point, you know, that as we start going further, it's like, but why and how? Like, was it just as simple as, oops, I got to this point and I couldn't seal the deal? Or is it, uh, no, I really thought I was going to seal the deal and now I'm surprised by it. So now I have a different reaction to it. So it sets <laughs> it sets things going, right? I mean, there's right. there's a lot of ways that, that, and, you know, like, there's just a lot that, that could go on there, right? Like I said, if it was a power dynamic uh-huh. shift and that caused him to, to shut down, that's one thing. If it's just, oh, here we go again. <laughs> you know, well, just... okay. And I think, I mean, just to put all my cards on the table, I read it as ED for the very, before I heard the right. interview. And so when I gotcha. heard the the author say, yeah, that was what we were going for, I felt this tiny bit of vindication. Like, yeah, I read it right. Uh, you know, yeah, I think yeah. it's my view. My view is the right view. Um, which is totally unfair, but I will say this: later on, Damon is being questioned, and the you know Viserys basically says, "You defiled my daughter." And what does he say? He doesn't say, "No, man, I couldn't perform." He says, "What does it matter?" You know, you know, look look at what we did when we were that age, and it's almost like, is it more embarrassing to say that he couldn't perform? I mean, I'm I'm guessing that in the pre-modern world, this is sort of tantamount to effeminizing yourself, right? Uh, maybe he would prefer to be, you know, to be thought of sort of as the the bad boy tornado who you you can't trust, than the guy who can't perform in the bedroom. Well, and it's and it does suggest again. I think I think the the brotherly dynamic is such an interesting one. Is that they they. You know, I don't know if, if what your experience is with your siblings, but I've seen this uh, with my my wife's siblings is when they all get together, regardless of how much older they've gotten and life experiences changed. Every time they get together, they they sort of 
involuntarily into their immature into their roles. roles. <laughs> yeah, their their roles. Everybody, you know, uh, uh-huh. the eldest is is the eldest and has a certain amount of uh, you know uh, expectations on what how they're treated, and the youngest is you know on and on it goes right. And it just it, it's and it's not. I mean, that's I've seen that often with with almost any sibling. So here you have these you know these two siblings that are arguably you know two of the most powerful men in 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 the realm and and when they get together it it just sort of falls back into old you know we, we've already saw they did have their mother's brothers moment in the garden i mean <laughs> that was pretty good i mean look viserys the range on viserys is just magnificent a, a lot of the a lot of the actors got to got to do a lot um a lot of range this episode yeah all right next storyline this is Rhaenyra Part 2. Viserys has problems. The king receives his brother who has conquered the Stepstones. Damon kneels and hands over his arts and crafts crown. The two brothers laugh over old times in the godswood. Later on, the king learns that Corlys has become a problem in the Stepstones. Moreover, the sea snake is planning a marriage alliance with Bravos. After a gross bath and even grosser sex, he's told about Damon and his daughter in a pleasure house. The king summons Damon, he interrogates him, kicks him, puts a knife to his throat, and refuses Damon's request to marry Renera. Later on, he reminds his daughter about Targaryen prophecy and tells her that her duties are more important than her desires. He commands her to marry Lenor. Later that night, Master Melos shows up to deliver moon tea. Okay, so Damon says something to Viserys. He says, when I gave up my crown, you said I could have anything. Do you remember that conversation happening? I don't remember that conversation happening. I don't either. Um, and it did kind of take me not out, but like a moment. I'm just like, because I, 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 what I don't like is when I'm, because like, there's so much to keep track of. Yeah, and when you when you're like, well, is this something that was like, this is a narrative way to be like, oh, this conversation happened, don't worry about it, <laughs> you know? or then I'm like, oh wait, did I miss something, uh-huh. and yeah. when did I miss it? Right, and I think it was it must have happened off screen, uh, or maybe it happened when like they were embracing in front of the throne. Mm. Um, it's all it's all very interesting to me, like what. If you're Viserys, why would you say such a thing? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm not. Sure. I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, there is. I mean, ultimately, the the scene matters because there's a a bend the knee moment, right? I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it's significant, and then it's a significant way to just. And it was a very casual when everything was said and done. Like, hey, got a new haircut, bend in the knee. <laughs> Things are different now. Right. Get right. ready for the job interview. Uh yes okay so Vasiris if Vasiris said that and I I guess I'm supposed to think that he did it's sort of further indication that he's blinded by love like he he's he's sort of blind he was blinded by love for Renera in sort of allowing her to make her own marriage choice when everyone around her is saying you're the king just just marry her off she doesn't have a choice in it. Like no, I want her to be happy. I'm I'm gonna do something to make her happy. And in this do, case, I want her to be happy the way that I I chose to be happy, which I, I think yeah. is also fascinating. Yeah, 
it's it's yeah i mean that that still is this undercurrent of selfishness really for him and he's like it's almost like he can justify his own sure his own selfishness by then passing it down yeah in this case he wants so desperately to make up with his brother and i honestly do believe that he loves his little brother it's just that he can't figure out what the hell he's going to do next and he's just i think they both love each other but i don't think either one has any respect for each other Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. And I so if that's the case, why would you promise this to your tornado brother? I, I don't see what he can gain in this. Because I think I think too, in the same way that we talk about Damon's unpredictability, there's a certain amount of that with uh Viserys too. It's just maybe a little more calm and it's and it's he's in it and he does it in a way that doesn't seem as I mean like he look <laughs> he named Renera his heir and then yeah. he was going to waver on that and then when he gets pushed about that he's like well no i need to 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 make it look like my plan was my plan the whole time and and right. and, and so he's and he's doing it in a way that like i think damon's moves are much more bombastic but his um reaction time is maybe a little more graceful <laughs> whereas viserys is like this long kind of drawn out clumsy way of, of dealing with things. And then he reacts, but not like with any intentionality, almost like he's reacting, uh-huh. uh, he reacting against his own ego or, or alongside it in some way. It's just, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because they're not as dissimilar as it would appear. Yeah. Viserys kind of presents as someone who used to know how to have fun, but mm. it's been a long time since he, was not king. You know, he's been king for a while now. And you don't get to have, I mean, unless you're Robert Baratheon, I guess. Yeah. You, you The king doesn't get to have fun. Viserys doesn't want to be king. And Damon thinks he wants to be king. And it's like, if you were to flop their roles, man, I think it would be very similar. <laughs> you know, I mean, Damon probably would make a little more uh, impetuous decisions and whatnot. But I think that they would both be dissatisfied. Yeah, that's a good question. Would Damon be a horrible king, or would Damon sort? Is he kind of like the dog that can finally catch the the bus? You know, he does. He doesn't know what he wants. He he's he's striving for it, but if he actually got it, he wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah, I think so, and I think I'm looking at the brotherly rivalry too, which is like, okay, look, you had everything. You may be this. Mom even liked you better, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm king, and I'm gonna be. I'm gonna prove that I'm the better choice for king. Whether I want to be king or not, I'm just holding on to it. I don't even want this toy, Mm -hmm. but I know you want this toy. So this is now my favorite toy. (laughs) If anybody asks, I don't have to share this toy. I mean, it it sometimes feels like that's what it boils down to with these two. And I think that makes it such a a more intriguing um, storyline because uh, (laughs) it's such a base uh, way oh to look man, at. these guys are—they're like reverting back to when they were like, you know, twelve and six or whatever the age difference there there. But they there is there's a real sort of sense of immaturity baked into their relationship. Yeah, I mean, even the like I said, when Damon is confronted about Sully and Renera, he's like, mm, baby, you know, like there's just a certain element of <laughs> of. Uh, like it, it serves it. It doesn't serve him well to do to be coy 
in the if if he's being strategic. But yeah. if you're not really interested in strategy at that point, if you're really just interested in and like, look, I'm I'm sowing seeds of chaos that may end up yielding me mm-hmm. this thing that you want only because you're keeping it from me. Right. Yeah, it's there's a few characters in this story that are kind of attracted to Damon because he is a tornado. It's like you're fascinated with it because that's where the action is. And then you get caught up in it and you realize, oh man, there's consequences and he's willing to live with them and I don't know if I if, I don't know if I'm willing to live with these. And I think Viserys and Renera are both caught up into his tornado in different ways. Um of course Viserys kind of has the long view. And you, you, you kind of get to see that in this episode that he's he's you know it's my job to have the long view, and if, and and it's not you know I'm not going to act like a teenager here and and how can you fault her for acting like a teenager? And he does have the advantage of you know like he's grown up with Damon, so there's even even as unpredictable as maybe Damon can be, Viserys is at at, at least used to it. Well, and there is also the oldest brother in this world, right? The oldest brother, there's expectations on that guy's shoulders that that the second son wishes he had, and the older brother kind of like regrets that he has. Right. This this is like this dynamic, like, okay, well, you're going to have to be the lord of this great house, and so we need you to grow up a little bit faster and... The second son is sort of like less important, but guess what? The second son gets to have a little bit more fun than you. And I think that there's always sort of this, I think I'd do better in your role. There was one other thing I want to talk about with this storyline. He tells her at one point, Viserys is talking with Rhaenyra, and he says, the truth isn't important, only perception. Right. I think it's a really important Game of Thrones line. Um, It's like, what is the truth? The truth is she did not have sex with her uncle, right? That's the truth of the matter. Now she spins it in, you know, toward falsehood when she's talking with Allison, but the truth of the matter, factually speaking, she did not have sex with her uncle. And the king kind of tells her it doesn't that doesn't matter. It, that part doesn't matter. It's how it looks to everyone else, and that's what you have to learn if you're going to rule. Yeah, and I think that Damon also tries to teach her a similar lesson when they're watching the the Mummers play or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, they, their opinion don't their opinions don't matter, and and Damon's like laughing at her, saying they kind of do matter if you want to rule, right? And if yeah, if if you look like you don't have control of your own situations, then you don't look like you have control of the kingdom, and. Mm. Uh, you know, and in this case, it was like, just don't, you know, you put yourself, you put yourself in a situation where, where even if it's just, if it's a lie and gossip, it, there's enough, there's enough smoke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we shouldn't even be having to go around and do damage control when in this position. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. If you're trying to explain that there was no fire, there was only smoke, you've lost the, the perception battle, right? Right. So, uh, man. Okay. Uh, This next storyline is called Allison's Descent. The princess and the queen find common ground in their sense of powerlessness. Allison tries to find the bright side of politically arranged marriages. The queen can only thinly veil her profound unhappiness. Rhaenyra consoles her and apologizes. That night, Allison bounces her baby like a frightened babysitter. 
At an ungodly <laughs> hour, she is summoned to the king's chambers. The next day, she overhears gossip about Rhaenyra, about Rhaenyra, and confronts her in the godswood. The princess swears upon her dead mother that she did not couple with her uncle. Alicent discusses Rhaenyra with the king and suggests that Damon is lying. Alicent is kind of representing the traditional upstanding wife in this episode. You know, she's kind of she she plays by the rules. She she's she plays by all of the rules, all the gender rules, and she's profoundly unhappy in the process. Right. Yeah, and and it's uh and this is I mean, she's the queen. Yeah, you got the boon. You got <laughs> you got what everyone thinks that they want, right? You're the most powerful woman in the kingdom. Right. Quote unquote, right? So right. And and yet you have to just, just lie there and take it. <laughs> That's just essentially, essentially you know, what it means, right? And episode and, one, I think you gave uh, Viserys the name uh, King Scabby Patty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was like the you know this is sort of the pinnacle of King Scabby Patty in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Real, real uh, unappetizing. Yeah. Uh, but she and and she tries to, she sort of portrays this a voice of reason but it's it, as you know as this goes on and we we kind of know it already uh from her father but as the 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 episode progresses it's like you get a real feeling for Allison in the sense that she is really just a problem yeah, in right. so many ways. Yeah, and her her father used her as a tool and now she's just the king's prop, right? Right, and the and the king uh you know, for all of his uh, speeches to his daughter about like, like almost how he's noble for having chosen a life of of happiness as opposed to what is best maybe for the political side of things. Well, that's fine, but how's she doing in this? How's Allison doing in this? I mean, this is it, even in this. You know, it's like the consequences of of what we choose, whether you know we're in leadership or not. I mean, it has. It has ramifications, right? And so, like he's he's made this choice to be happy, but it's it shows that not only has he done this uh, relationship that may have uh, not been the best political move, so it may not be the best for the realm. It's not even best for his immediate circle, right. you know. It just like it's just it is it it shows how incredibly selfish this move was. He doesn't have like the relationship that he had with his uh, you know previous wife was. There seemed to be a mutual yeah, affection, that's right? And and respect. You know, it did. It really did present a sort of like that's the rare jewel that you almost never find in Game of Thrones: a marriage that actually found love. And then, of course, he chooses the the, the baby over the the wife in this. Right. Okay, so Alicent is interesting to me because. At the beginning of the episode, she's kind of commiserating with Renair. Like, don't aren't we both in the same situation? Like, like we were at odds. We should hold to each other like ships in a storm. Like, you know, uh, I guess that metaphor doesn't work. <laughs> ships don't hold each other in storms. Can we talk about the ships more? I I just want to talk about the ships. <laughs> I wish ships had arms. <laughs> But they they should cling to each other like like they are in a storm and, and they like taxi cabs <laughs> like bicycles. We're gonna find it at some point. We're gonna find the metaphor that works. Here. 
<laughs> they they're holding they should hold on to each other they they both are in a sense like they they they're living different lives but they can see the parallels enough that they realize we should be friends because we have this in common and it only takes one night for Allison to realize what are, what are you doing out at night like i've been playing by the rules this is miserable. I thought that we as women decided we were going to play by the rules and be miserable. That's the life of women. Right? And she's right. and so it's sort of like Renero. We had a pact. <laughs> we had a pact. That's right. So what are you what are you griping about? You're out with your uncle at the hour you know, the hour of the owl? How could you even allow yourself to be put in a situation where your reputation is besmirched? Um at the start of this episode, you really see that they have a lot in common. And at the end of the episode, you really see that they're living much different lives. The hour of the owl is a phrase I need to use more. Is that the only hour that you can couple? <laughs> yeah. What is, the, what is the Westeros version of a nooner? <laughs> I really like the, the phrase coupling. Because uh, they have other words, but that, that's, a, that's a very old-timey phrase I think we should bring back. Yeah, it's funny. Like my my wife's giving me a hard time because like I'm kind of like you know reacting to certain things in the in the in the show as it's happening, and I, I use the phrase more than once. Like, oh, what happens if Renera's with child? And she's like, with child. <laughs> uh, oh goodness. Well, yeah, and that's something that the king is worried about too, right? Right. You know that moon tea. Yeah, the <laughs> the Westeros Plan B. It it really is. And I'm just wondering, like, when are we going to meet a maester that's sort of like your cool professor? <laughs> the Walter White of I wanna meet Yes, I want to meet a maester that doesn't look like he's, you know, got two gouty feet. <laughs> right, it's the price you pay. I mean, I right? guess we had it's Sam the at the end of the... But I, I'm just waiting for Yeah, it. but he, st- he strikes me as someone who would end up with, you know, some sort of a condition. Right, yeah. I, I just, they can't all be like that, right? I guess if you're going to ascend to the heights and be the maester of the king, you're probably late stage career maester, I, I would guess. Yeah, I think I think maybe like there's like a, a a reality show in Westeros we don't we don't know about where it's just like you know it's like hot maester or something like Ra- that. Rate my maester hotness factors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody. <laughs> All right, got it bad, got it bad, got it bad. I'm hot for maester. <laughs> I love that video, by the way. Hot for maester. <laughs> that was sort of like a, the a big deal. 1985. Hot for maester. all right another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. 
Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. This is a storyline, a very short storyline, Damon and Masaria. Damon wakes up with a hangover in Masaria's King's Landing apartment. She tries to give him some sort of elixir, but he pours it out and insults her. She tells him he can pay for the room on his way out. So a couple things about this. Number one, I my sense is that we've met our new Varys. Hmm. She's called the White Worm. Uh, she she she's clearly managing the little bird that was sort of witnessing the whole thing, right? And so she was she must have some kind of connection with Sir Otto. Um, then the question right. is now that Sir Otto is sort of out of the picture, what kind of influence will will she be able to wield? Yeah, and what is Otto now? Yeah, like how will he continue to exert influence? Because there's no he's not going to exert influence, right? Well, his daughter That's is right. queen, so so there there is an inevitable mm-hmm. connection, right? I mean, it's like it's one thing to remove him as the hand, but I mean, are they going to you know remove him from a you know? family perspective as well. well I mean, it's almost that's, like that's pretty big deal. you've established now that he had, you know, because he has a Varus in King's Landing, presumably he goes back to Old Town and he, you know, sits sits in his castle or whatever, but he still has eyes and ears and he still has sort of some authority over the queen. Yeah, which and which does present itself like to me this this is a an exciting moment from a doing perspective because you know I mean everybody's got a certain agenda but Otto has uh there's there's a craftiness and a much bigger picture approach that we don't have like that's what what's the criticism of Damon as a as a quote villain is is he's just he's very live in the moment he's not he doesn't seem like he's got right. his grand plans whereas Otto 
could be that. That's right. That's right. You got a guy with actual machinations. So yeah, so Masari is our new Varus, and so that's interesting. And then I was also going to say that you kind of see Damon with his ex-girlfriend. I I, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to have an ex-girlfriend in this world. But it's sort of like, uh, I mean, I'm getting the sense that she wasn't thrilled with what he said about her being pregnant, and she so she just leaves Dragonstone. Because now she's living in King's Landing, and she's connected in King's Landing. And it's it's interesting to me that, like, you almost see the people who are cast off by the tornado. You know, they, they, they have, they're going to go live their lives afterwards. They, they had their time with Damon, and they had their fun. And they're not going to stay with him forever, because that's not what happens with tornadoes. Um. So I, I like I like that she's you know she's kind of landed on her feet she's in King's Landing, she still kind of has a little affection for him otherwise you know why why nurse him back to health, uh, but she kind of knows like you're you're bad for all the women in your life and I'm not going to be that for you. That's my that's my sense of it anyway. But as we've just been discussing. That there, you know, the connections potentially with Otto and any other kind of like maybe, maybe her role isn't, maybe, maybe there is an assignment attached to some of this as well. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, we'll have to see how, how she comes into the plot because she's kind of been ancillary to this point. But you can kind of like, if you have the job Varys had, you can absolutely be influential. And I I always got the sense that kind of Varys, while a little bit slimy, kind of had the best interests of the realm in mind. I've got no idea what her motives are. What what, what was her what was her design? Did she want did she love Damon or did she want to get close to Damon because that was a proximity to power thing? Because she has aspirations of her own. It's totally veiled. I don't I don't understand why she's doing what she's doing yet in the show. Which is which is something to uh, that's pretty remarkable. We're, we've you know this is one of the few episodes where we didn't travel a couple of years, um, yeah. And, and but we like you know things are unfolding, but there's still a lot to be discovered. Okay, last uh, storyline: Otto gets canned. Otto Hightower receives a message from the spy network. Apparently, someone named the White Worm has important information. The next morning, Otto informs the king that Damon and Rhaenyra were coupling in the bowels of a pleasure den. Viserys calls it gossip. The king and the princess discuss Otto as they argue. Rhaenyra accuses Otto of being self-interested and demands that Otto be dismissed. Otto is summoned and canned. I like that Viserys was, you know, she's basically saying, look, Otto's got his own interests in mind. You, you can't trust him. And the king quips back everyone i meet is self-interested that means that everyone on the small council is self-interested that's part of the job like that's i love that he put it as blatantly as that it made me really like i think that early on i thought this guy doesn't know what it's like to be king i think he he absolutely understands what it takes to be king it's just that how could anyone be good at this (laughs) I, I just think that the job is just, it's just fraught. And unless you're like a genius, how are you going to thrive? I, I don't, I, I, anyway, I just love what he said about like, 
it's the job of the king to realize that every single person at that table is self-interested and to be wise enough to kind of read through all of that, all of that spin to find the advice that you need. Yeah, and I, that, you know, it's, it's rare self-awareness it feels like from Viserys. <laughs> but <laughs> but it only seems like whenever, I mean, like the, the dynamic between Viserys and Rhaenyra seems to be like one of the more genuine back and forths right yeah like uh, it, 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 so that's kind of a, uh it's it's a nice break because if, if it feels even though i, I feel because like we feel like we have better understanding of maybe their motivation so uh, even if they're not being completely honest with each other it still feels like we can track those conversations and understand where they're headed um and it does feel like there is at the core you know, I mean, she's going to keep certain things from him. I mean, his father, she's a teenager. Um, and he's going to keep certain things from her because he's the king and the father, all those different things. But uh, so you understand why. But it feels like there's at least an undercurrent of sincerity when they when they speak. Like even with the auto thing, right? I mean, she's right, but her motivations may not be to be right by the realm well she's <laughs> or, she's absolutely right she's got her own self-interest right but she, but she view she realizes who Otto is yeah in a way that you know you, the king kind of is coming to the realization but it, he almost tolerates it i think he's like kind of susp- you know he's suspected like why did it, why did allison come to my room the night my wife died and he right. i think he's been suspicious for a long time and then, of course, Otto. But, so, but he needs him, right? I mean, he Otto is a better. He, mm-hmm. There's a reason why he's at the hand, right? And and Viserys, unlike some other kings that we've seen in these in these shows, is that like he he gets it, like sure. the need for a council, right? <laughs> well, that's part the of it thing. because he just doesn't want to think about it. That's the thing you want. Let's say you want a you want a smart hand of the king, right? So how often will you? So let's say you just go out and find the smartest, most politically savvy guy to be hand of the king what are the chances that person's not also going to be a schemer right you know it's it's like that's kind of it if you're good at the political machinations you're probably also going to be a schemer right so i i i thought it was it'd be weird if you weren't it'd be weird if it wasn't right so you so then the question is who's next and um you know i think i think that if it was me it would it, i would probably promote you know uh, lord strong that's what, I, yeah. That's my thought. And it's interesting Maybe. because he does present as someone who's wise and politically savvy. And if he is a schemer, he's kind of held his cards close, right? Right. You don't have that sense of him yet. Yeah. Whereas Otto, like. Maybe it may have been a long time coming, but he's he's definitely like now it's like he's pulling the you know all the levers uh-huh. or trying to. I do like that Otto goes out with a little dignity. I feel like he knows like well I'm still going to be playing the game, even if I'm not in this room. I'm a bit surprised. Uh, looks like I'm not going to be hand of the king anymore. I'm not going to like you know kick the dirt on my way out because because right. this is not over. And it very well could be that I need to have a relationship with this king going forward. Well, and it could very well be that if something, if 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 it looks like something's unravel and you need to have some stability, maybe you bring Otto back into the fold, and maybe it's because of things that Otto has done to create instability. But but uh, yeah, yeah. If he's 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 too clever to go out like that, right? I mean, he didn't. He, he 
he strikes me as this wasn't this was a potential uh you know this this fallout was you know not necessarily inevitable but it was probably part of the plan like this could go this way mm-hmm. and if that's the case then i do this that again different than damon <laughs> like <laughs> this happened yeah, now exactly. well, all right. um like even his haircut i don't even know that he was like he's probably like gosh why did i cut off all my hair it's just so impetuous <laughs> where do you go for a haircut in westeros <laughs> like like someone's got to be doing this stuff right yeah, one guy was probably like, like as he was walking by, feeling pretty good about himself, he had his crown on, and someone's like, "I didn't know Nelson got back together." And then he's like, "Nuts!" And I'm cutting my hair. <laughs> okay, uh, cheek speak. I'm gonna let you judge this one because you took the over, you took five, and took the over, and I took the under. Yeah, they definitely went under because of the speak. Yeah, I was. It's a little uh, crazy thinking that, like this. The episode, you know, this was sort of the sex carnival e- episode, right? Yeah, I think the best I could come up with was two. Yeah, I came up I with three. Was, I had two side cheeks. I think it's at one point I see a tiny crack of Sir Kristen's. Uh, oh, okay. So that would give us two, right? Yeah, uh, but I mean, it was sort of like I was again. Kudos to Claire Kilner. To put together an episode that was like all about sex, like all about sex, and just to thwart our cheek speak element of this podcast. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, like we were right in the sense that we were due, but we were wrong in the sense of how it was uh, executed. So, Clearly, Claire is yeah, a listener and, to Double Dragon, and she thought it would be fun and, to mess with us. Well, I think this is this is where we have to have uh, we have to really call a, call a rat out on the table here i mean if she's listening and she's like oh crap you know i bet the under and she quick runs into the editing room a few right. blurs mm-hmm. few close-ups get rid of this scene next thing you know you know she's cashing in so i'm, I'm gonna say that the under one on this one yes the under one um you noticed two i noticed i think i i, I counted three so uh, amazing amazing that this episode what we were on the under for the cheek speak. Um, okay, uh, Steve, was this a Dorn, a Danny, or a Dinklage rated episode? This is a hard one for me, but I think I'm going to go a Dinklage minus two. That's interesting. I'm going to go a properly Dinklage on this. Properly Dinklage, okay. Yeah. I think I'm just I'm just reluctant, you know? I mean... Well, once you go a, Dinklage, it's, a, it's sort of like the, you, now you're measuring everything about, against an episode, right? Right, right. So uh, I, I was tempted to go in the properly Dinklage realm. Mm. I think it was a really rich episode. I think it was, uh, like you said, I think it was wonderfully directed. Um, there were a lot of... Uh, it was just there was a lot of, of really good parallels. There was a lot of um, interesting things that unfolded. It's dramatic. Um, it just... I, as I walked in and go, that was very good. I was... I would knew I was in more Dinklage range, but I wasn't. It still wasn't. Didn't have that like oh, ho, ho, ho. like to me that's the Dinklage. Like mm-hmm. the oh, ho, ho, yeah, noise. Sure. I have to make that noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. So if 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 you need a little refresher here, so Dinklage is a great episode. A Danny is a good episode, and a Dorn is an underwhelming episode. I I'm gonna say it's properly Dinklage. I felt like, you know, put put myself in Viserys' shoes 
he's clearly misunderstanding the situation. Would I act any differently with the, based on the information mm-hmm. that he has? Would I act any differently as king? I don't know. Like I might, but I can't. I mean, I can totally understand why he's acting the way he's acting. And then, of course, you, you look at sort of Renera. You can't really fault her for doing what she's doing. You know, she's going to sort of realize later in life, like, oh, that was really reckless. I sh- I absolutely shouldn't have done that. But as a teenager, it's not like I, I my opinion of her lessens because of some of the actions that she's taken. From Allison's point of view, she's playing by all the rules. I did everything. You, you asked me to be miserable. I'm going to be miserable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can totally understand why she's resentful of her friend. You know, Damon, Damon's like this wild card, but I, I, I can't take my eyes off him. So I, again, I think everyone in this episode, I understand why you act in the world the way that you do. And then it's the alchemy of problems that's created when all of these characters bump against each other. To me, that is great storytelling. And so I'm going to say a properly Dinklage. Right on. Uh, oh, finally, Steve, I wanted to read a, um, a review on Apple iTunes, which we love to get from listeners. Um, this was our first two-star review. Ooh. It's called uh, Double Bummer. Nice. <laughs> and it's uh, written by Hi. That That's what <laughs> this person calls themselves. Um, I really loved the Electric Bookaloo rereads from Anthony's other podcasts. I absolutely enjoy the different viewpoints and inside information from the Academia guests. Why I won't be listening to Double Dragon anymore is because the hosts seem to only find the negatives in everything. It seems to me that they are looking for reasons not to like the show. Everyone has their own opinion, and that is fine, but the mention of in every episode that it's not funny enough for them uh, because there isn't a Tyrion-like character is getting very stale. It's a, fairly, uh, it's a family drama fantasy, not a family comedy fantasy. I would love to see more optimism from the hosts. And in all honesty, if I keep listening, it will only be skipping to the part where the professors are giving more inside information into medieval life. So that was from uh, Hai, and uh, I think that maybe she's got a kernel of truth, but I can't help feel like I'm being judged unfairly. We've given every episode um, a positive review for one thing. Well, I did give one a Dorn. Yeah, I, I did. I gave, I think I gave the last one a Dorn because oh, yeah. I didn't. But. I really, it was only that one storyline that I, it didn't work for me. It was the crab feeder storyline that didn't work for me in the end. I actually really like this show. I look forward to this show. So I think maybe I should make that clear. Um, in fact, I gave this last episode a, a, a very high rating. Yeah, I, and yeah I, I, I mean, I think if the concern is that we appear to be focused on those moments that could use a little levity or humor and we mention it, um, in the same way, I would say that your critique of the podcast is really focusing on one element of the podcast. Uh, I don't feel like it would serve the podcast well if we if we started shying away from saying the things that didn't work for us. Right. I I think that in order to be honest dealers, we're going to have to sort of call something out when we think, 
yeah, that didn't work. Or, you know, this episode needed a little bit more warmth or a little bit more right. levity. Yeah, we like the show. I mean, I, there's a lot, like, I'm rewatching Breaking Bad, and this show, I, you know, I think is one of my favorite shows of all time. And there are moments now where I'm looking at it with a little bit more of a critical eye, and I'm like, mm, maybe that's that scene wasn't great or maybe that was a little uh melodramatic but it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of it in fact if anything it's actually uh heightening my appreciation for it because i'm looking at all of it and how it gets put together and um and i mean again this isn't this is a a show that we have i i think spoken pretty fondly of while Mm -hmm. also looking at it not just as a, a story but how it's constructed and and how it fits into the 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 game of thrones universe and that universe includes if i may invoke uh viserys perception matters and the perception of game of thrones going into house of dragon we've talked about is is very mixed um and like you said it's got the burden of being yeah, a, a, right. of following a great show and the burden of following one of the most disappointing moments in television history <laughs> those are two heavy burdens <laughs> to balance at the same exact time and that's just a yeah. reality of the yeah. viewing experience so you know we're looking at this i mean the very fact that our rating system uh brings yeah in... we're always comparing every single episode we're comparing <laughs> right right okay so i'm gonna just say in defense of Hai. Um, again, it's a perception issue. So she's perceived our particular podcast in, in this way. So in this way, perception, perception kind of supersedes, uh, truth. And, and I'm, uh, that's, I think that that's what reviews do uh, a lot of the time. Um, in addition to that, mm. I think if I was going to be a little bit self-reflective, why is Dinklage my high mark, Right. Why is the comedy relief of the first show the thing that I've set up as the standard for this show? <laughs> right, well, that's fair. And it, it it's yeah, it's it's probably I don't know. Going into this, we I think we we came up with our rating system before we had watched a single episode of House yeah. of the Dragon, and so it's it's a flawed rating system. And um, I'm happy with it. I, I'm happy to keep it the way that it is. And just note that our rating system. It means nothing, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, uh, so, well, yeah. see, I, so and anyway. I, I would say that yeah. While Dinklage did provide much of the comic relief, there was other comic relief besides Dinklage, uh-huh. and some of the episodes that I think of were Dinklage, where I would put them on that high level. I'm thinking of, you know, uh, in in the courtroom. Um, I'm I'm thinking of him in the cell having yeah, uh, having conversations right. uh, with his brother and those weren't always those moments weren't particularly funny uh they just had Oh it. no he did he I mean he was like the the range on Dinklage and the complicated elements of that character go far beyond beyond comic relief and I think that that is what a good Dinklage episode would bring. It could give you all of that, and none of it yes. was none of it was diluting the other. In fact, it was all that's enhancing right. each other. So, Absolutely. so that's when I look at the high water mark of a Dinklage. I look as is this, and that's why I think this episode that we just uh, reviewed uh, is in that range because there was so, there was magnificent melodrama, really interesting mm-hmm. political uh, machinations that were going on, character development that just further complicated. Um, relationships all of that was happening yeah and all the actors are pulling this off so so um hi i I hope you stick with us but i totally understand if you need to go elsewhere that's that's fine too 
All right, Steve. Uh, predictions. Oh, we didn't do cheek speak predictions for the next episode. Oh, that's right. Um, well, in that scene, I feel like I'm going to get burned, but I'm going to I'm going to set. The, at this point, I think you have to start looking at the data, and mm-hmm. um, I think I'm going to set the line at two and a half. So two and a half. So you're looking at uh, two full moons and a side cheek, and I and the, and these have to be characters who have a, some dialogue in the episode, right? Yeah. Um, and so two and a half, if I go to, if I think it's exactly two and a half, do I go over or under? Well, uh, it's, it's a push. It's a push. All right. I'm going to go for the push. Okay. So you're going, you're going to think it's going to go two and a half. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I'm going to go over. Oh, I'm just right, going to stick with the over. <laughs> you're just gonna continue to do it because I continue. You're right, I, I continue to set this line. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> All right, so book at baldmove.com If you have a question, uh, this is a question from Thomas. This is an interesting question. Were there any people in the pre-modern period that were sex positive? Or were they more puritanical? Was sex mostly a thing done for progeny? Was it mostly a thing between married couples? I get the sense that ancient Romans were sometimes free thinkers. Did things change all that much between periods? So first of all, like the use of the word puritanical is interesting here because puritanism is, of course, a later religious sect. It's much, much later. It's not medieval at all. Um, Puritanism develops in the 16th century as a reaction against Catholicism. Uh, Puritans wore black and white. They abstained from drinking. They were notorious for hating the theater during Shakespeare's lifetime. So while they are very much not medieval, they are early modern, they're in they have an incredible influence on the way that modern Western ideas and culture have developed, particularly right. in the United States, but also in the United Kingdom. My sense is that Thomas is thinking more in the colloquial sense yeah. of the term. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, but that is kind of, but it's interesting because that that is a, um, it's, Puritanism was a reaction against Catholicism and it was very, and it was a specifically a reaction against late medieval Catholicism. Okay. And late medieval Catholicism was, it's like, there was a lot going on there. And some of it was, uh, some of it was more questionable than others. Uh, so, but in a more general sense, just like in modern times, pre-modern ideas of sex and sexuality existed on a spectrum. They wouldn't use words, the same words that we use today. They wouldn't use the same terminology that we use today, homosexual, transgender, anything like that, to describe themselves. But the Mm -hmm. ideas and the identities did exist. And we can absolutely see them in primary sources if we know what we're looking for. Particularly, it's, it's interesting, particularly if you look at saints' lives. That is where a lot of these... Uh, ideas tend to crop up because the way that they ended up getting. I'm sorry, you said you said saints, saints lives. Yes. Medieval saints lives um, are an absolute treasure trove for uh, looking at ideas about medieval sexuality and ideas about and uh, particularly ideas about medieval gender, because saints occupied a very 
different space. They occupied a very different physical space uh, hmm. from normal people. They were viewed as other. They were viewed as blessed, isolated. Like there, there's, it, it, right. they were just put into a very. They were set category. apart. Yeah, right. they were set apart. Um, and many of those saints had very interesting, very um, almost modern ideas about their own identities. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. There's, there's some wonderful work that's been done on this. Uh, I recommend uh, the work of uh, G.W. Bachowski. Um, I can give you the exact, uh, I can give you a list um, just so I don't mess up spellings and things like that. But sure. Uh, there are a bunch of books on this topic and a bunch of articles on this topic, and it is uh, there, there's an incredible amount of information. But uh, it is important to remember that these I, that medieval Europe did not exist in a vacuum, and we can also see the influence of Islamic ideas, especially in southern regions. Um, and Islam, particularly, this is I'm talking about medieval Islam here. Uh, medieval Islam was actually a very sex positive religion. Um, okay. And so if you look at areas like Sicily, Southern Italy, Byzantium, uh, Iberia, um, even Southern France, mm -hmm. um, a lot of these ideas kind of permeate over these borders because there was so much cultural exchange happening. There was trade going on. People were sharing right. ideas about poetry. They were sharing ideas about the classics. Like the way that classical literature, what we think of as classical literature, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, the way that all of those uh, writings made it into uh, Europe at the time was through um, the caliphate. It was through trade with, hmm. uh, uh, with the Middle East. So, uh, so all of these ideas are kind of percolating in Europe. Um, and so I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go so far as to say that medieval people were self sex positive. Sex was part of life. Uh, it was very much a part of people's lives. It was very much a part of people's everyday lives because when you think about a medieval household, you don't get much privacy. You've got everyone living in a single room. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. So if like whoever you were sharing a house with, like they, everybody knew what was going yeah, on. These kids everyone are coming was, from somewhere and yeah. there's usually other people in the house, right? Yep. It was rare to have your own bed, let alone your own bedroom. Everyone was all up in everybody else's business. Uh -huh. Now, if you've read, for instance, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, there are plenty of raunchy scenes and raunchy subplots. They're all in there for comedic purposes. Um, and yeah, some of them are meant like, okay, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this, but also it's, it's all just comedy. Um, hmm. even if some of it is comedy, that some of it is not something that we would find funny today, it was considered comic at the time. Uh, so for instance, the character of the wife of Bath, she has married five separate times. She boasts about how great she is in bed. Um, and at one point it is indicated that she, uh, that one of her husbands might've died in bed with her. Um, but we don't actually get the sense that we're meant to disapprove of her at all. Like this is just okay. a fun woman who happened to be married five separate times and who is very might good at kill, sex. And, who, yeah. Who's so good at sex that she might kill you with it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and at one point, late, uh, late, in the, late in the wife of Beth's prologue, she's like, yeah, I've had five husbands, but I'm on the lookout for number six. <laughs> so, yeah, like this, this is a woman we are not, we're clearly not meant to disapprove of her. She's clearly meant to just okay. be a lot of fun. Okay. Um, but on the other hand, you also have something like the Romance of the Rose, which uh, my one of my favorite professors uh, described the Romance of the Rose as 20,000 lines of poetry about a man trying to have sex with a plant. <laughs> 
and I can't disagree. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Well, I it's a great question, Thomas, and I, I had no idea how Kavita was going to answer, but I'm. it's just really great to hear this. I think you could get the sense from a Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon show that everyone's having sex with everyone all of the time. But uh, but I think that there's probably danger in the other extreme too, right? Yes. Um, you know that that everyone's pr- basically a prude before the 1960s. Not not exactly true either. No, like and and one of the things that I I I've, I'm constantly hammering on in uh, in everything that I publish, um, and also sort of just anytime people ask me about uh, received ideas about medieval Europe. One of the things I always, always have to remind everyone is keep in mind that a lot of the histories that we are reading today do not come from the medieval period. They come from the 19th century. Right. And they come from Victorian England. And Victorian England had mad hangups about sex. And they take those hangups and they project. And what period are, what what are the dates we're talking about with Victorian England? Victorian England is like the eight, is uh, 1847 to 1901, I believe, okay. is the exact reign of Queen Victoria. But um, I think it was 1847 to 1901. I cut me. I'm it, I'm a little unclear on the early section, but I know but she it died gives us an idea. It gives us a general idea, yeah. right? So okay. yeah, so general idea. But you're talking about the bulk of the 19th century. You're talking about the industrial rev, like the real rise of the industrial revolution, the height of the British empire. Um, And it's worth keeping in mind that there were a lot of political reasons to frame the Middle Ages the way that they did. Thank <laughs> you.